All right. <laughs> Honestly, better re- response than a couple weeks ago. Um, Hey, welcome uh, back to Downtown Community Church. If you don't, aren't terribly familiar with this place, I just want to um, highlight one thing that can help you become more familiar that uh, Jeff announced. It's the ownership class. Um, that might sound a little bit weird to give you a little bit more light. That's the equivalent of basically like a membership class. Um, we just have a, a, a one-time thing. Um, we don't have a, a big hurdle to become really a, a home church DCCer, um, but it's an opportunity for you for to maybe ask some questions, get some one-on-one interaction, um, to find out a little bit more about uh, a number of different things, including what we believe specifically, um, how that affects what we do, and what we believe it, we're called to be as a church, what we believe about the church, what we believe about God. I mean, just a ton of different stuff that we're going to cover. It's going to last about an hour and 15 minutes or so. Um, so if you're interested in taking a next step at getting connected here at DCC um, and you just want to know more about it, then we would absolutely uh, love for you to come and show up and, and, and hear more about it. And you're going to, I don't know, hopefully, I mean, you're already at this place and so maybe you can just take another step. So um, we're in a, a, a sermon series this summer called Summer in the Psalms or Summer in the Psalms, if you know how Psalms is spelled. Um, <laughs> I, I always want to say that, but then I'm like, that's just a nerdy way to start a sermon. But hey, let's give it a roll early and see what happens. Um, before we do, let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the fact that you are a God who preserved documents that we're able to study. We're able to learn more about you, and hopefully, Jesus, we're able to be more like you. I pray that wherever we are in terms of our faith, wherever we are in terms of our relationship with you, God, for some of us who walked in this morning and we're here, maybe for the first time, maybe we're here, like Jeff said, for the 500th time. For some of us, we've been walking with you faithfully and steadily for years and years now. And for some of us, maybe we just are examining and searching and not sure if you're there, not sure if you exist, not sure if you're even real. But if you are, we want to know. And so, God, I pray that wherever every one of my brothers and sisters in here is in terms of their faith and their walk and their interest, God, that you would help us all to come to a better understanding of you through your word. God, that you would individualize this to each one of us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So when we started out this whole um, summer in the Psalms, the reason I kind of said that I really enjoy the Psalms, especially teaching on the Psalms, is Psalms are appealing almost no matter where you are in terms of your faith and your relationship with God. What I mean by that is that whenever we walk, and kind of like I just prayed, we talk about often, when we gather together, one of the things that we know inevitably is everybody's at a different place in terms of your engagement with God and your spiritual walk, if you're a Christian. They, you know, put it in christian terms, so it's like your spiritual walk. Well, you're not really walking, but maybe you are spiritual. But regardless of where you are, you have some type of, just because of the fact that you're here this morning, interest in faith. And one of the cool things about psalms is psalms can be authoritative and psalms are interesting to people of almost every type of faith. In fact, if you're just marginally interested in God, if you're just marginally interested in the Bible, then the truth is, is that regardless of who you are, almost everyone has some type of a desire, some type of more so an acceptance for the psalms. And so the psalms are a great starting point if you're looking for a starting point in faith. In fact, the Psalms are even easy to find. Some of you walked in this morning and you're like, I don't know jack about the Bible. And you maybe picked up a Bible on your way in and you're welcome to grab one of those on your way out if you don't have one. But 
the good thing about Psalms, you just kind of crack it open in the middle, and you're like a 90% chance, if you have good, like, you know, spatial reasoning, then you have like a 90% chance of just landing dead in the middle of the Psalms. So it's not even difficult to find, but the good thing, again, the good thing, is regardless of where you are in terms of your faith, you've heard of Psalms. Regardless of where you are in your faith, you probably know some verses from Psalms. You've heard of some stuff from Psalms. If nothing else, you've heard of the book of Psalms. You haven't heard of Malachi, you know? Some pastor talks about second hesitations. You don't know if that's true or if that's a real book, and it's not. That's a good pastor joke, you know? It's like if everybody will turn to the book of second hesitations, and then like everybody starts like looking through their Bible, it's like, you're not a Christian, you know? That's, we don't do that. But Psalms, Psalms, everybody has heard, everybody knows of the Psalms. So Psalms are a great starting point. If you're at the point where you're just investigating faith, interested in faith, and here's why, here's why. Not just because of the fact that it's notable, but more specifically because Psalms are almost all based in the human condition, especially what we're going to read this morning. When we're going to read Psalm 22, and Psalm 22 has a couple of meanings, a couple of connotations to it. But Psalm 22, like many of the Psalms, is so interesting. If for nothing else, if you don't believe in God, if you don't believe in faith, if you're just kind of wishy-washy about the whole thing, here's the thing. You felt what the book of Psalm, chapter 22, has to say. In fact, if you're especially skeptical you've probably thought the same thing that David prayed when he prayed in Psalm 22. Because the book of Psalms isn't just some good wisdom literature. The book of Psalms is wisdom literature that's based firmly in the human experience. And the human's experience isn't specifically spiritual. Which means all you have to do to identify with what we're going to read this morning is be a human most of you qualify for. So, if you got your Bible, we want you to open up, you know, in Psalms 22. If you don't have your Bible, you can, you know, click it up on your phone. If you don't have it on your phone, then just text people and we'll think you're spiritual. We're going to be in Psalm 22. Now, a couple things you need to know, a little background about Psalm 22. Psalm 22 is written by a guy named David. Now, David was an incredible guy. Grant talked about him some last week. He's an incredible guy in some senses. He's a terrible guy in other senses. He somehow was, was simultaneously a man after God's own heart. He was the greatest king in the history of the nation of Israel. By the way, the, the nation of Israel were God's chosen people in the Old Testament. So if you're not like a Bible nerd and you're not really sure what the nation of Israel was, those were essentially the Jewish people, the Jewish nation, what would become the Jewish religion. But they had a time where the nation of Israel... And as the nation of Israel, they were God's chosen people, God's chosen nation. The goal of the nation of Israel, the reason that God chose them, by the way, was not so that they would have exclusive rights to God. It's so that they would be an example of God. And people would see them and believe in their God, similar to how Christians ought to be. That Christians, the idea behind Christians is Christians don't have exclusivity to God. Christians are merely conduits through the rest of the world sees God. And we would be living in such a way where people see us, see the light that we have because of Jesus in our lives, and they say, you know what? I'm kind of interested. And they are God. Because of how they live, because of who they are, because of what they believe, because of how they face persecution and trials for a variety of different reasons. And David was what people still consider today the greatest king in the history of the nation of Israel. Now, on the other side of that, David was also a guy who made some horrific mistakes. Grant talked about and kind of overviewed it last week. That David was a guy who was a man after God's own heart, but somehow simultaneously had an affair, got a chick pregnant, had her husband killed. Now, I don't know the past that you came in here this morning with. And maybe that's your past. If that's your past, then then we're just glad you're here. 
But there's a probability that very few of us came in here as adulterous murderers in a literal sense. You know, some of you guys, you know, the reason I said literal sense, some of you guys are like Bible people. And so it's like, if you hate your brother, you've committed murder, you know. Or if you've looked at a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery. And yeah, yeah, we get you, we get you. So away from Sunday school, like he literally had someone killed. And on top of that, he literally had this chick who was his guy's chick who was one of his friends and got her pregnant and then that's a whole messy story but long story short is that David was a physical murderer he was a physical adulterer he wasn't any type of a figurative type of thing in any of those situations and somehow he was still a man after God's own heart and so he writes and he is very honest when you read the psalms and that's why I love psalm 22 because it's just this psalm of honesty now pause one of the cool things about psalm 22 is psalm 22 is, is significant because of what's written but it's more significant because of what happens a couple thousand years later a couple thousand years later as most of you know there was this guy that showed up on the scene his name was Jesus. He showed up as a little babe, you know. Once, once. Anyways, so he shows up as this little kid. He grows up. He performs miracles. He fulfills prophecies to substantiate who he is. He performs miracles to substantiate who he is. And on the cross one day, he died. And as he died, it's our belief that he took on the sin of the world. And you can read this for yourself in Matthew chapter 27, verse 40-something. 40 42, I think. He echoes the words that open up Psalm chapter 22, verse 1. And they would be significant in and of themselves. But there's a whole messianic prophecy that happens as a result of this. And what's interesting is the result of David's prayer and Jesus' prayer as they recite Psalm 22, verse 1, are drastically different as we're going to find out your experience and my experiences are. But for all of us, for all of us, we find ourselves. In the middle of this. So let's open up if you've got your Bible. So David says, Well, to the choir master, according to the doe of the dawn of Psalm of David. So he just, it was a kind of a hymn that was written. Verse 1. He says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now again, that's, if you're a Christian, if you're, you know, a big time Bible person, maybe you grew up in a, in a, Sunday school environment, or you grew up at a Christian school, or you know, whatever it is, you just study the Bible a lot. You know, when Jesus, as Matthew and as um, Mark account, kind of as Jesus' last words almost, he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In fact, he says it in, in the actual Hebrew, Eloi, Eloi, Lama Sabachthani, or some weird thing like that. But he creates and he says this word that draws back to David, which basically says, my God, my God, I'm going through some crap right now, and I feel like you've turned your back on me. Now, pause. That's where we enter the story. We enter the story early this morning. Because the reality is, is all of us have been in some type of a situation like this in life. You've been in some type of a situation where you feel like for some reason God has turned his back on you. For some of us, you've been in a situation where God's turned, you feel like God's turned his back on you. And it's because maybe you've done some jacked up stuff. You've done some stuff wrong. You've done some messed up things. And you feel like maybe this is a recourse that God's taking to punish you. But for some of us, which, by the way, isn't necessarily true. But for some of us, you've been a good person. In fact, for some of you, you followed God faithfully. You've walked with God faithfully. You've done all the things that you know to do. To do and to be the person that God's called you to be. You go to church. 
You read your Bible. You pray. You do it all consistently. Shoot, you might be involved in a community group. You might serve. Maybe you fast. You meditate. You do all this stuff. And it's not even like lip service to you. Like, you genuinely mean it. But the reality is, sometimes you can be the most obedient to God. And from time to time, in your time of incredible obedience, you also face incredible suffering. And it's everyone's temptation. In fact, more than temptation, it's everyone's reality oftentimes when you go through this. That you don't know why you're going through it. You don't know for what reason you're going through it. But something's happened to you. Maybe you lost a job. Maybe your relationship ended. Maybe financially you were going through some issues. Maybe it was a culmination of a lot of those things that happened all at once. But for some reason, there's something inside of you that wants to ask a simple question which is really, 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 really foundational to just say, God, why? Why is this happening to me? God, I've been obeying you. I've tried to be faithful to you, but why is this happening to me? And David is really honest about it. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. He says, to make matters worse, yet you are holy, enthroned to the praises of Israel, and your fathers, and you our fathers trusted. They trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued, and you they trusted and they were put to shame. So we think David's about to say, hey, you know, God, God, I prayed to you and I prayed to you and I prayed to you and you delivered and I prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and all these other people prayed, by the way, God, and I know you're powerful. I know you can do something if you want to do something. I know you can fix things if you want to fix things. And in fact, here's the problem, God. I know tons of people who have been going through tons of stuff, and they prayed, and you answered their prayers. So we think what David's about to say is, so God answered my prayer too. But what David says is way more honest than that. David, in the middle of this issue, and we don't know specifically what he's going through, but in the middle of this issue, pauses and says, God, you're powerful. You can do whatever the heck you want. I believe you have full control. And God, I've seen you control their situation. I've seen you deliver them. I've seen them pray to you and you answer their prayers. But let me tell you what I feel like right now. Verse 6, but I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. In fact, they mock me by saying, verse 8, he trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. And you're just saying, God, God, this doesn't even make sense. People who don't even know you are mocking me. People who don't even know you look at my situation and say, I mean, come on. He's a God follower. God can't be real. God can't be real if he's treating his own people like that. He says, I know that you've delivered. I know that you've helped out. And I've seen it in the past. And come on, if we're being honest, doesn't it seem like sometimes God's priorities are just a little bit jacked up? You know, you, you know somebody who's running late for something? 
And they just prayed, God, you know, I'm late for this test. And so give me like three green lights in a row. And they got like 15 green lights in a row. And they're like, oh my gosh, God is real. You know, they had that whole thing. And they tweeted and Facebook and Instagrammed about it. They you know, put a little green light and did this whole testimony. And you're like, oh, that's cute. It's a little bit stupid, but that's cute. You know, maybe you should have just left early. And on the other end, you've had a legitimate prayer request. You found news that you hoped you'd never get. The cancer has spread. An accident's happened. And it's not this light little prayer request. Sometimes it's a prayer request of life and death. And if you're being honest, and if I'm being honest, sometimes we look at God and say, okay, God, you can control everything. You can do anything. And this isn't like a, I'm running late for a test type prayer request. This is like a heavy, heavy, heavy life and death type prayer request. And I'm praying to you in genuineness and earnestness. And God, while I'm praying to you, it just feels a little bit weird that they still have cancer and they hit all those green lights. And I know you can control things. And, you know, they prayed, and they prayed, you know, that they would get the job, and they got the job, and wow, they got the job. But, God, I've been praying for meaningful career employment for five years, and I got nothing. I'm working with a graduate degree at Starbucks, which, if that's you, man, just own this stinking Starbucks until you find what God's called you to do. But you're sitting there saying, God, I've been praying, and I've been praying, and I've been praying, and here's this joker who just graduated, who doesn't do jack with their life. They honestly slack off a ton of the time, and you just give them the perfect job. And God, I'm not saying if I was you, I would do things differently, but God, I'm saying if I was you, I'd do things differently. It's like I would never say that, but I think it all the time. And so David looks at it. He says, that's how I feel. I mean, I pray, and I've seen you deliver. And I'm like a worm, and they, people, when people see, they just make fun of me. They make fun of my God because of it. And he continues on. Verse 9, yet you are he who took me from the womb, who made me trust in my mother's breast. On you was I cast from birth, and from, from my mother's womb you have been my God. So be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is no help. And so God, this is how I feel. Now here's, here's the interesting thing. Throughout this whole process, there are images of Jesus on the cross. When he talks about all kinds of Issues that are happening to him, even though we've gone over before. When he said, I'm scorned, I am mocked. Verse 8, he who trusts in the Lord, let him deliver him. That happened when Jesus was on the cross. They're sitting there saying, if you're the king of the Jews, if you are God, save yourself. Because who's a God who can't even save himself? He says, verse 12, many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths like a ravening, like a raving and luring lion. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all of my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. But you, O oh Lord, do not be far off. O oh, you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from their sword, my precious life from the power of their dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. Now, 
Here's what's interesting about this. We don't know exactly what's going on with David's life when he says this. We don't know exactly what issue he's going through. I mean, there's multiple segments in David's life where this would have been relevant. But we do know when Jesus said this. And oftentimes, when someone in the New Testament quotes something in the Old Testament, it's not just that line. It's to draw attention to the entire section of verses. And so why Jesus is hanging on the cross, and he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's not simply drawing attention to that one little section. He's drawing attention to all of Psalm 22 as kind of a billboard saying, hey, remember when David wrote this? Remember when David wrote this and said, hey, there's going to be people that surround me. My bones are going to be like wax. Remember when he said that, you know, my, my, my body's just flowing like water? And they pierced his side and blood and water flowed out. Remember when David said that they were going to pierce my hands and my feet? That's happening now. And what David meant when he said this is far exceeded by the reality of Jesus quoting this. And so you could look at that and say, well, that's a really interesting prayer for Jesus to pray. Because isn't, doesn't that show kind of a lack of faith from Jesus? Doesn't that show kind of a lack of trust in God for Jesus? And he finishes the psalm by saying this. Verse 22. Completely f- changes the tone He says, I will tell. I will tell your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You here fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him. All you offspring of Israel, for he has not despised or abhorred the affliction or the afflicted. He has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. Now pause. He's saying, okay, I just want you to know, when you feel that, when you feel that, when you feel like God is nowhere near you, when you feel like you're praying, and you're just seeing everyone else's prayer requests get answered, but your prayer requests aren't getting answered, when everyone else has this great life, but you have this terrible life, when no, everybody else has money, and you have no money, when everyone else has a relationship, and you have no relationship, when everyone else's life just seems that it's going perfectly on par with what should be happening, but it seems like regardless of your faithfulness, maybe you're just a good person, Maybe you're a very religious person. Maybe you've been walking with God. Your relationship with God is strong. But it seems like nothing in life is working out for you. And you pray. And you feel like God is not hearing. You feel like your prayers are just bouncing off the walls. David pauses and says, let me just tell you, God is close in that moment. You might not feel like God is close in that moment, but God is close in that moment. For he has not despised or abhorred the afflicted, the affliction of the afflicted. And he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried. From you comes my praise and the great congregation, my vows I perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nation. In other words, God's powerful. He can do whatever the heck he wants. And the prosperous of the earth eat and worship before him and shall bow all who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. 
So posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall proclaim. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn. That he has done it. Now, here's what's interesting about this. Here's what I find as, as I'm reading through and sifting through this whole thing. When you look at David and his life, David was ultimately restored in his life. David, who if you're familiar with the story of David, went through a number of difficulties. Went through death of kids. Went through some stuff that was the, that was the result of the consequence of his own personal actions. And at other times in his life, was basically kicked off the throne by his own kid, but was eventually restored to the king. And David prayed, that, prayed this prayer at some point in one of those valleys in life. And what happened with David is he was restored. And so we kind of look at this and say, okay, yeah, isn't that good for David? You know, he prayed and he prayed and he prayed, and eventually it worked out for him. But the thing that I find so compelling about the Bible is that that's the opposite of what happened for Jesus. Jesus prays this. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Drawing back to everything that David did, everything that David said, bring attention to, he was the fulfillment of this prophecy in Psalm 22. And at the end of, of, of Jesus' prayer, wasn't an all of a sudden revitalization, wasn't all of a sudden a restoration it was death. It was death on a cross. And here's the honest truth about our lives. Sometimes when you pray, God does bring restoration. But sometimes when you pray, God doesn't bring restoration yet. And for those of you who trust God, who those of you who have put your faith, your hope, and your trust in Jesus specifically. Here's the reality. That relationship that was destroyed might never come back. That financial burden that you have might never be alleviated. That dream that you had, that this is what you were going to do, this is who you were going to be, might never fully get restored, for being honest. But the response of David was so telling because the response of David was a response of faith. The response of David was to say, this is what's going on, this is what's happening, but God, in the middle of that craziness, you still deserve to be praised. Regardless of what's physically happening to me, regardless of how I feel, you still deserve to be praised. And here's why I love that, because that takes faith. And I love faith. And what I mean by faith is oftentimes nowadays, when we talk about faith, when someone talks about faith, faith is, is kind of nutshelled down to essentially, it's an answer to a question that you don't have answer for. Faith becomes this kind of catch-all, cover-all thing. How do you believe in a God that existed 2,000 years ago? Faith. How can you put your faith, your hope, and trust in the Bible? Faith. I just believe. I just have faith. And for Christians, a lot of times the summation of our faith is just an answer to a question that we don't have an answer for. When faith is so much stronger than that. 
Faith is an active trust in God when there is no reason in and of yourself to trust that it's ever going to work out. Faith is an active trust in God that says, God, regardless if this ever works out for what I consider best to myself, I know that your word says that you have done all things and you work all things for the good of those who love you and are called according to your purpose. And I don't believe it. I don't feel it. I feel like everyone else has a leg up on the competition. God, I don't. I feel like I'm subpar. I'm below zero. I feel like it's not working out for me. But I trust you. We like to use faith as an answer, but oftentimes we hate to actually put our faith and trust God when it comes to the situations in our lives. You see, let me give you an example from my life. This was probably a year and a half ago, maybe about a year ago now. As you guys know, man, you, you go through seasons in life, you go through times in life where things are going well, you go through times in life where things are going bad. And about a year and a half ago, there was a, ser- a series of things that happened in my life that were just supremely difficult. And as you've been through, and I've been through, it's not necessarily one issue, but it's a culmination of issues. And so let me just tell you what happened. So about last, not December, But the December before that, or the before that, I don't know, somewhere in there. I lose track of time. I'm not a very good details person. At some point in life, Lindsay and I found out we're pregnant. Joyous time. We were so excited. It was the first time, you know, we'd been trying, and we got pregnant. And so we go in to the doctor's appointment. And if if you've ever, you know, kind of been through this situation, you know this. The first trimester is the most difficult part. And we go into the doctor's office, and it's about the eight-week appointment. You go in for an eight-week appointment, and as we go there, the doctor, you know, she's looking at it, and she's a little bit smaller, or the baby's a little bit smaller than we think she ought to be, or it ought to be. And as we look, and we're talking to the doctor, and she's saying, well, maybe you're a little bit off. Maybe this is going on, this maybe that's going on. So they put us in another room. We go in the other room, and the doctor comes in and tells us, there's something wrong with the heartbeat. And it's not as strong as it ought to be. And it looks like the baby's a little bit underdeveloped than what it ought to be. Are you sure that it should be eight weeks? Are you sure that it should be nine weeks at this point? We said, absolutely. We know exactly how old it should be. So he says, okay, well, I want you to come in in a week. I want you to come in in a week, and I want you to see. And we want to see if there's, if there's progression, if there's development, if there's growth, if there's a lack of growth. So he said, okay. It was a Wednesday. We went back in the next Friday, not two days later, but a week and two days later. And, I mean, we prayed and prayed, and prayed, and said, God, we have no control over this situation. But we would love to have a kid. And when we prayed, and prayed, and prayed, and we had friends praying for us, we had our community group praying for us, we had people that we loved and cared about us, people who were fiercely devoted to God, men and women of incredible faith praying. We went in on Friday, and we lost the baby. At the same time, it was for me, as some of you guys know, I run a meat company. As that progresses forward and we're kind of starting to deal with the loss of this child, we go through, as a company, the most difficult outside variable that's happened in the history of meat. Pork prices for us hit an all-time high. The month of April last year, we lost about $30,000, and we're not a big company. At the same time, 
we as a church didn't have a home. In April was about the time that we started meeting outside. And as many of you know how our church was at the time, it was about, you know, 12 people, 14 people at a service. For some reason, we didn't have the insight of the, I don't know, we were just dumb, to be honest. We thought, okay, we have like 12 people to service. Let's just have two services. <laughs> That's real stupid. But I remember thinking, and you've, you, you've been there. I remember thinking, God, there is no part in my life that's going well right now. I mean, normally, you know, if I have three parts of life, if I have like the church part of my life and the family part of my life and the work part of my life, like usually, if you cross your fingers, if you pray real hard, maybe all three are going well. If you're a little bit unlucky, then like work is tough, but church and home are going good. Or maybe home's going well, but church is a little bit tough and work's a little bit tough, but I mean, come on, you go back home to your sanctuary. If you're unlucky, then two of the three. But I remember thinking and praying and saying, God, I don't have an area of my life that's going well right now. That's going, if I was God, if I prayed, and let me tell you, I'm a pastor. Not to like pull the God card on this one, but I'm like, come on, God. If anybody, you should be blessing. You know, come on. I've led people to you. I've baptized people. I've spoken at camps. I've read my Bible. I pray. You know, God, I'm, shoot, I'll even fast if you want me to. You know what I mean? What do you want me to do? I mean, just nothing's going well. And here's, here's what I vividly remember God saying. How can you expect your faith to grow if you never have to use it? How can you expect your faith to grow if you never have to use it? Because as Christians, we love to talk about faith. We love to talk about trusting in God. But from time to time, we actually have to trust in God. We love to talk about how God is all-sufficient. God is all-powerful. God can do anything. God is a good God. But it takes faith when every area of your life is falling apart, when every area of your life is losing money and you're losing kids and you're losing members and everything's just going downhill, everything that you've been working and working and working and working and praying and praying and praying and praying for doesn't go out how you thought it would. The interesting thing about Jesus as he prayed. And the result of his prayer was death on a cross. But the amazing part about that is God ultimately used that death on a cross. God ultimately used the fulfillment of Psalm 22 and the life of Jesus to reconcile the world to himself. That what Jesus went through, the suffering that Jesus went through, the pain that Jesus went through, was not for no reason because God is a mean and a sadistic God. And Jesus knew, Jesus prayed, Jesus had the insurmountable amount of faith that you and I hope for, reach for. And when he prayed it, it wasn't a prayer of God, why'd you turn your back on me? It was a prayer of God, this is how I feel, I understand, I have the human condition, I have the human experience, but let me tell you, I still believe that you are God, I still believe that you are good, and I still believe, in spite of my situation, you deserve to be praised. So I don't know where you are this morning. For some of you, maybe you walked in and, man, life's going good, and that's fine. I hope that if that's you, someday when you wake up and get the phone call, someday when you go and you have the doctor's appointment, someday when something happens to you that you thought 
I hope never happens. And if you're a man or a woman of faith, if you've placed your faith, your hope, and your trust in Jesus, I just hope you remember that God deserves to be praised regardless of your suffering or of my suffering. And for your faith, how in the world can you expect your faith to grow if you never have to use it? Maybe for some of you, you're going through something right now. Maybe it's with you. Maybe it's with someone you love. Maybe it's like it was for me where there's just a series of things and it's not necessarily one thing. It's the culmination of all of life. just seems like it's just, you're on the verge of capitulation. You're about to give in. I just want you to know that we serve a God and we love a God. And beyond that, we have a relationship with a God who is close in the middle of the affliction of the afflicted, in the middle of the hurt and in the middle of the suffering. God's close. And so I'm praying for you this morning that God just simply gives you the faith to trust that. That God simply gives you the faith to put your trust in the fact that he is a good God and he does work all things for the good of those who love him. And if you're here, not sure about God, unsure about Christianity, let me tell you what I'm hoping for you. Obviously, ulterior motive, I hope you believe in Jesus. My pastor, sorry. But let me tell you what I hope for you. I hope that you see a Christian go through this. I hope that you have a front row seat. And this might sound weird, it might sound a little bit jacked up, but I hope you have a front row seat to a Christian who goes through something that you would hope they would never go through, that you would hope you would never go through, that you would hope none of your friends would ever go through. And you see them place their faith in a God in almost an inexplicable way, that they place their hope in a God, they place their trust in a God, who they know can control everything, though it seems right now they choose not to control this situation. And you begin to see real men and women. You begin to see real men and women who really have faith. You begin to see men and women who don't just use faith as an answer for a question they don't have an answer to. But who are active participants in choosing to place their faith in God. And I hope that someday, maybe because of watching their life, maybe because of having a front row seat, and you're not sure God is real, you're not sure faith is real, you'll at least become convinced that God is real to them. And maybe he'll become real to you. And it's our hope that when Jesus died on the cross, when he took the weight of the sin of the world, he died and extended an invitation to anybody and everyone who had placed their faith, their hope, and their trust in him to come, to have eternal life, to have ultimate forgiveness, but more so to have a relationship with a God who is close to the brokenhearted, close to the afflicted. So regardless of where you are, 
regardless if you're in the middle of that situation, regardless if you're not in that situation, but you're going to be in that situation in life at some point, if you're a man or you're a woman of faith, or maybe you're just not, you're investigating, I pray that you take a front row seat and see God at work in someone whose faith is real and dynamic. And maybe because of that, God would use that to encourage your faith that someday you would be able to place your faith in God. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you so much for Psalm 22. I thank you honestly for God, or for, for David's honesty. That he prayed, and he prayed what we've all thought. 